All right, so we're in the book of Ephesians tested. Um, in really many respects, there's a lot of confusion that occurs in Ephesians chapter 1, which is unfortunate because it's dealing with so many incredible blessings. And so, by the way, if you're just joining us uh, and you're getting online, maybe you came in through Facebook or YouTube, if you go to our website, hbfcastcast.org website, if you go to this, the, uh, the live stream, uh, it'll have uh, information there in one of the tabs, and it'll be a link to get to that uh, if you want to download that, print it out, uh, and fill it out as you go. I know a lot of you like those handouts, so I want to make sure you got one of those in hand. Um, and so tonight we're talking about, uh, we're continuing our discussion of the blessings that God uh, has given us through Christ in Ephesians chapter 1. And so the purposes of this study is to reveal Christ's sufficiency to the churches, uh, and or his sufficiency to us, the church's unity and Christian's duty through the study of Paul's prison epistle to the Ephesians. That's what we're trying to accomplish. And Paul's, of course, uh, incarcerated as he's traveling uh, to Rome, and then he's in Rome, and I believe he probably wrote this epistle from Rome. And um, and I hope everybody did their homework and has read Ephesians now. Um, and so it'll, it'll be it's going to be a good study. Um, and so I just want to remind you of the title. The title of the, our study is called Revealing Our True Identity, because in this book we get the identity for our for first of all we see christ in his relationship uh to the godhead and, and really the the deity of christ in chapter one and two uh ephesians one and two reveals christ's identity and then we get to see the church's unity in ephesians three and four and ephesians five and six we see christians uh duty so in all in all of that seeing christ's deity the church's unity and uh the christian's duty we really get an idea of our own identity which is um, which is really what you need in a day like today because there's so much going on in the, in the world that we live in that you can easily lose your identity. You can get caught up in politics. You can get caught up in uh, conspiracies. You can get caught up in all kinds of things. And there's a lot of political activity, and there's a lot of conspiracy, by the way, going on right now. Um, but the reality is you need to be, we all need to be caught up in who Christ is and what our identity is in Christ. And so, Andy, you need an outline? You need an outline. I'm going to grab, grab. Now we're online, and that's a, I've got one up here. Actually, I'm going to have you steward these. I'll set these at a safe distance, so uh, because you're lot, you're 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 actually in the building. There you go. That's six feet. Um, the people in the building. I'm sorry if you're online. They get preference because they're here. So. I'm not trying to be as professional for the camera tonight as I have been. So uh, <laughs> my, the uh, folks that are in-house are going to become increasingly become my focus as we go on. So probably a couple more weeks of the table sitting. We'll see how it goes, and then I'll probably go move back to the floor. So, But at any rate, uh, so we're talking about inheritance in Ephesians chapter 1. Um, and so uh, we've already covered quite a bit in this chapter. When I break down the chapter... I've already kind of covered that verses uh, 1 and 2 deal with Paul's introduction. Verses uh, uh, 3 through 14 deal with the blessings to us. I've been kind of camping on that the last few weeks. And then we'll pick up the speed as we look at Paul's prayer. And really, I'm going to try to uh, move a little briskly through the rest of the, the book of Ephesians once we get through these blessings. And, uh, and so that's a good look at the, how it breaks down. Uh, and so tonight we're going to, again, look at uh, verses 1 through 14. I'm just going to read all this. I think it's good to just digest this. And if you're joining us live right now, we're glad that you're with us. We're in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. looking at. Uh, we're going to drill down on verse 6, but I want to read verses 1 through 14 as we get started. 
The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 1 and verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. There's a whole lot in verse 3 that we've looked at, and you need to remember that because that, that is one of the key passages for this whole chapter. Verse 4, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Remember, I, I pointed out love was a big uh, attribute here in regard to these words of chosen, predestinated, adopted. Verse 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. We'll get into that a little bit tonight. In whom he in, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom you also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And then here's our last verse. Uh, and we're going to actually touch on several of these verses that I've just read, even though we're in verse 6 today. Verse 14 says, Which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. Now, verse 14 is important today, too, because we're going to be talking about redemption and, uh, and earnest money, so to speak, on a house and redemption all go hand in hand. But we'll talk about that here in just a minute. Before I jump into that, just let me, I want to review a little bit of where we've been. Uh, we've been, we've, uh, I've talked to you about Christ's blessings already, and uh, and so um, his blessings to us, all spiritual blessings in heavenly places are in Christ, and if you have an outline, you've already covered that, and we've been looking at these seven blessings, um, the fact that we're chosen, he's predestinated us, he's accepted us in the beloved, he's redeemed us, he's, he's, uh, we will be looking at, uh, he's abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Uh, and he's also made known the mystery of his will. And the last thing, the seventh thing, is that he sealed us with the Holy Spirit of promise and pro- provided for us the earnest of our inheritance. So we also talked about the importance of the word all, and it's really important because both in the verse, verse, the, the fourth cha- the first chapter, and, the, and uh, these first verses, uh, as well as in um, uh, the end of the chapter one, he deals with all things being in him. He deals with... Um, all things uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, we talked about one God, the Father of all, above all, through all, in you all. And then uh, I re- you'll remember I mentioned Ephesians 6 that deals with the fact that we are to done, having done all to stand. We stand there for. So those things actually remind us of, of uh, the reality of, of, uh, of Christ's sufficiency, not only in the first chapter, but throughout the entire book, both in his deity, our unity as a church, and then also our... Um, our responsibility or our duty to serve him faithfully. And then uh, what we've been focused on the last few weeks is really just taking these seven blessings that I've just laid out and, uh, and really just looking at each one of them in particular. 
And so, and we've taken some time with dealing with how he has chosen us in him in verse 4. And then last week I spent uh, more time on the word predestinated, how he predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Christ. And so that left us in verse 5. So let's just pick that up. And uh, let's just, I'm going to back up to verse uh, 3 and read back down through verse 6 as, as we kind of look at this section and we start picking up these blessings. So he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with not some, but all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. All right, that's really where we pick up the, the, uh, this uh, concept of our blessings, the things that we're counting. And then we get into verse 4 where he says, He hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And so we saw there, we looked at that, how we've been chosen, us being the saints. This book is written to Christians. He's not talking about um, our salvation per se, but how he has already prepared the blessings for the saints in Christ before the world began, which leads you right into verse 5, having predestinated us, right? He does have foreknowledge, but he also has, in his foreknowledge, has provided for those who have chosen to be saved, He's predestinated us unto the adoption of children. And I took you to Romans 9 and showed you how that adoption ties in and how that once we have chosen Christ, we are adopted uh, because Christ already chose those who would receive him to be uh, in Christ. Uh, and he even says in this text, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So we see there is by Jesus Christ, we're not adopted to Jesus because Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren. Uh, he, he's got the same father, right? So father, son, Holy Ghost. So, of course, Jesus is God. But the reality is that we have a father-son relationship by Jesus Christ, which really leads us right into where we're going uh, into verse 6, where it says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. All right. So that's where we're going to pick it up tonight. He has made us accepted in the beloved. And so in Ephesians 1, 6, before we jump into the accepted in the beloved, I want to just talk to you a little bit about this, this phrase, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath, um, wherein hath, wherein he has accepted us in the beloved, the, to the praise of the glory of his grace. So that phrase, to the praise of the glory of his grace, is a reference, uh, it references the Godhead. Again, we know that chapter 1 is dealing with the deity of Christ, so you wouldn't be surprised that in verse 6 you see this. And, of course, uh, i got a live audience now, uh, so you, you guys are in trouble, all two of you, or if I count the booth, six of you. So, um, and so when you, when you look at verse uh, 6 here, uh, the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Uh, who, do, who, is, who is the he? Who has made us accepted in the beloved? God, that is the right answer. Specifically, if I was going to give you the Godhead, do you think it's God the Father, God the Son, or God the, or the Holy Ghost? Exactly. Very good. Sharon, if I had something like a brownie, I'd give it to you. So, um, But I will give you uh, the correct, that's a thumbs up, correct answer. So it's God the Father. And so, uh, and she's absolutely right. We're talking about this adoption by Jesus Christ. So now God has become our Father. So you see that in regard to the, this, this phrase that begins verse 6, the, the pray, to the praise of the glory of his grace. You might want to mark that because when you get down to verse 12, just look at verse 12, you see it pop up again. It says that we should be to the praise of his glory. Uh, it doesn't talk about the grace, but it says that we should be. Now, by the way, notice in verse 11, there's that word predestinated again. Why? Again, because God has already chosen 
uh, before we were born, that everyone that would trust Christ would be found in him. He was the provision for providing all things to whoever was going to be adopted and get these incredible promises. Because we are born again as well. I want to make sure people don't misunderstand that. We are born again. The only way to be in the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, is to be born again. So we have a unique inheritance in Christ. And uh, we've been, uh, when you get to verse 12, it says, We should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in, and there's the second member of the Godhead, in order, Christ. So you won't be surprised then that um, when you get down to uh, verses 13 and 14, just after that, in whom you also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after you believed, ye were sealed, we're in verse 13 of chapter 1, with the Holy Spirit of promise. There's a third member of the Godhead. And then you won't be surprised then when you get to verse 14, and it says, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. And then there's that phrase again, unto the praise of his glory. So uh, the Lord Jesus uses the Apostle Paul to write three times, to the praise of his glory, uh, in verse 6, revealing to the Father, verse 12, revealing to the Son, Christ, and then in verse uh, 13 and 14, uh, referencing the Holy Spirit. So you got the Godhead right there, which is appropriate because we're dealing with chapter 1 in the deity of Christ. Christ is God. But then the three members of the Godhead are pointed out there as Paul is praising and giving honor and glory to each one of them. So that's just a little something-something there to look at as you're uh, studying the Bible. It's just those little things are cool to find and see. But I want to just talk a little bit more then about this word accepted because this word accepted takes us uh, back to uh, a Bible principle, a Bible study principle that's so important and it's, uh, uh, well, the first thing that we often talk, what's the first rule of Bible study? Context. Someone said that. Someone live said that. I don't know who even. There's so many, I couldn't tell. It was up in the front somewhere. So the, another really important principle of Bible study is called, um, you know, the, it's a principle of first mention. And just, I tell you, I do a lot of this. When I'm studying my Bible and breaking things out, I often uh, get a concordance. If you don't know what a concordance is, um, anymore it doesn't matter you can just search on your phone <laughs> so in the old days we had these books called concordances uh, strong's concordance and crudence concordance and we would have to look up all these words today you can just search but don't just search for words in your bible make sure you notice if you got a bible program or you're searching them online or you're searching um in a in some sort of program go back to the first mention you want to complete uh, an accounting of those words and uh, first mention last mention are really important and so you can really, that really sets the tone oftentimes. And in this case, I think it's so interesting. If you have your Bible, go back in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 7. Oh, they're popping the verse. I, I didn't get all the verses in there. Did you guys get the verses? Awesome. So when I don't have them, they're up there. That's even better for tonight's study because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to keep moving. Um, I was actually going to do more than I'm going to do tonight, but I decided I need to keep this short as possible. So I'm only doing one of our points uh, tonight. And we'll pick up, I'm going to try to finish all of them next week. We'll see if we can do that. But the word accepted takes us back to Genesis 4, 7. And uh, Genesis 4, 7. And um, in Genesis 4, uh, even though I got the verse up there, I, just for my own edification, I'm going back to Genesis 4, if you'll bear with me. Ray Vallejo, is anybody online watching us tonight? Okay, so I better be in my best behavior. All right, so... Genesis 4 and verse 7, um, the context here, of course, is Cain and Abel. And notice, notice, you guys, I won't get into the backstory. I think you guys know, especially if you're HBF folks, you know the, you know the drill here. But uh, you know what happened with Cain and Abel. But notice this. He says in verse 7, 
after you know God's dealing with him, the Lord said in verse 6 unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? Right? Um, now, the context of this is dealing with... Um, is dealing with the acceptable sacrifice. Acceptable sacrifice. Remember, we're in Ephesians, to the praise and the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Keyword accepted. And so you find this in verse interesting in verse 6. He says, The Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, thou uh, shalt thou not be, and here's the first mention of the word accepted, Right there, shalt thou not be accepted? And it comes in the form of a question, which is ironic. The first question posed in the Bible, by the way, is not by God. <laughs> and so God is uh, invoking someone to be obedient. And interestingly enough, as they're, they're tempted to rebel and be like Satan for some reason, which we won't get into tonight, Satan answers, or God gives them a question uh, to think about. So kids and adults, when God's asking us questions, be very, very attentive because he could be trying to test our our, our heart motives, by the way, uh, because that's, uh, that's, a, that's a really good way of doing it. So he says, you know, won't you be accepted? Uh, am I, and really what he's saying is, uh, am I not good for the blessing? And he goes on, to, which we had to be talking about blessings tonight. And if, thou dost, and if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. By the way, I just can't help myself here. For those that think that people are so depraved that they can't make a decision, um, decision, uh, an act of, of the will, uh, is, is a, this is an example in the very beginning of the Bible. Here's a guy who wants to murder his brother, and God knows it, and he's giving him a chance. He's giving him a chance to do the right thing. And he's not forcing him to do the right thing, but he could do the right thing, but he won't do the right thing, right? And so just, I mean, again... All the way from Genesis to Revelation, people are making decisions because the, the doctrine of love, which we find in Ephesians chapter 1, right, when we start talking about foreknowledge of God and predestination, it's wrapped around that doctrine of love. That's, you, can, you can find the word love in verse 4. So I've, I don't want to beat that, that horse. I've already covered that. But I find it interesting here because if he obeys, it's going to be for his blessing. And the word that God uses uh, the father uses theirs. He says, "Will it not? Will you, will you not be? It won't be. It'll be accepted. Accepted. It'll be an acceptable sacrifice." And so, um, so what Cain had a problem with was finding his acceptance with God through the acquisition of a sacrifice from his uh, shepherd brother Abel. That was really his issue. And Cain worked hard for his crops. Right? He worked his tail off, so to speak, as we'd say today. To raise those crops, he wanted to get those. He had those crops, and he was proud of his crops. Well, you know, God wasn't unhappy with his labor or his crops. Uh, that wasn't the issue. The issue was that God said, "I want the acceptable sacrifice." Right? I want you to be accepted, and the only way you're going to be accepted is if you have the acceptable sacrifice. Do that which is right. Right? Am I not going to bless you? Of course, He will. And so, so God had a picture. He was painting. And it was already established. See, this picture was established in Genesis 3.21. And I think most of you probably know that, so I won't go too far into that. But when he chose to cover man's sin with a, a, a blood sacrifice, and he took animal skins and to cover the nakedness uh, instead of fig leaves um, that Adam had prepared for himself and Eve, then he was, a, he was setting a precedent. Something innocent had to die to cover their nakedness, to cover their sin. And so there's a precedent. God is saying, look, uh, Abel, I appreciate the plant life. I appreciate your crops. 
uh, they're going to, they're going to, at that time, they weren't eating meat, by the way, so those crops were going to feed everybody. Those are good crops. Those are good for the body. But God didn't want the work of his hands from the crops. He wanted the, he wanted the sheep. He wanted the, the herdsmen. Uh, he wanted him to get with his brother and probably provide crops for his brother. And his brother would give him a, a lamb, and then he would sacrifice the lamb. So something innocent lost its life to cover the shame of sin. And that's the obvious picture, of course, of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is also prophesied in Genesis chapter 3 when he tells them, hey, by the way, uh, you're in. Satan's going to come through the seed of a woman, which we've talked about that as well. So the word accepted, uh, if you're doing, if you're doing uh, notes, I'm going to just kind of switch gears for a moment. Um, this, is, this is interesting because it's coupled with this word beloved. So when you think about the word beloved and accepted in the beloved, um, some people, uh, the, word accepted is, think, the word accepted is referencing Israel uh, not accepting their Messiah in the first mention of the New Testament. Huh, isn't that interesting? So Israel, when you find the first mention of the word accepted in the New Testament, ironically, it's another person not cooperating with God. They're not, they're not going along. So in Luke chapter 4, verse 23, the Bible says, And he said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself, whatsoever we have heard, uh, heard done in Capernaum. Do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, No prophet is accepted, this first mention in the New Testament, in his own country. So uh, that's an interesting word, that word accepted. So Jesus would be murdered for the same reasons Abel was. Uh, the leaders of Israel would rather bring the sacrifice of their labor under the law of Moses than a better sacrifice, which was Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so their heart, it was their heart. Uh, they, they, wouldn't receive the, they wouldn't receive the prophet. They wouldn't receive the Lord Jesus. They wouldn't receive the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world as declared by John the Baptist. Matter of fact, when they were confronted with his deity, Jesus said, well, let me ask you a question, wise guys. He didn't really say that. He was talking to the Pharisees. But that's what the implication is. Why, hey, you tell me, was John the Baptist a prophet? Uh, and they were like, well, uh, well, we're, they, because if they said he was a prophet, then that would mean what he said was true about Jesus. And then if he wasn't a prophet, all the people would be mad and stone him. So they said, well, we can't answer. Jesus says, well, fine then. I can't answer you either. I don't have an answer for you either. So these questions go back and forth. And it's interesting how it all wraps around this word, accepted, accepted, accepted. And so uh, Cain wasn't accepting uh, the, the, concept, the construct of the first sacrifice that was to be offered there, that sacrifice in Genesis chapter 4. Israel wasn't accepting uh, the Messiah, uh, who was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So those little Bibles, those first mentioned Bible studies, uh, those are cool. Uh, I never saw that before, so I was excited to tell you guys that. So, um, and so Jesus would be murdered, obviously, and that's what happened. So the last mention. So not only is there the principle of first mention, so I just gave you two first mentions, the first mention of the Old Testament, first mention of the New Testament, but then there's last mention. So where might the last mention be in the Bible of the word accepted? Let me guess. Oh, it's in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6. I'm glad, I bet some of you got on, caught on to that already. So this is actually the last mention. Usually a lot of things close in Revelation. A lot of the first mentions that open in Genesis close in the book of Revelation. This is actually an exception to that. This word, I call it close. This is the last word uh, on this particular uh, word accepted in English. And we find it right here in the text, which is awesome because 
to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. When you look at this in the, in the context of acceptance and how Cain would not accept the, uh, the parameters for the sacrifice, Israel also, as a nation, rejected the this Lamb of God and would not receive him as their, as their atonement for sin. To this day, they're blind to who Jesus Christ was. Man, what a blessing it is. Just, just hold the phone for just a minute. So when we have all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, how awesome is that? I mean, why? We have been accepted because, well, we... we this is going to help us out with our Bible study here in, in, in regard to uh, the, the word beloved. Uh, because, man, when you see this word beloved uh, or beloved, um, man, that's incredible. So who's been accepted? Who's been accepted, Sharon? That's right. She says those of us that have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And it is. This whole text is written to saints. So people who are born again. We've been accepted in the beloved. And so the, the us here is the saints. And so um, Ephesians 1.6, he's, he has made us accepted. Notice the word made. We weren't acceptable, but now he's made us acceptable. That gets us back to the adoption that we talked about last week. There's a spiritual adoption. So he's made us spiritually acceptable right now. We're, we're already seated together in heavenly places in Christ. We are spiritually set and then someday at the rapture of the church, we will physically be acceptable because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, 1 Corinthians 15 says. So we, we have to shed this carcass and this blood, and we will be changed in an instant in the twinkling of an eye if we're still alive at the, at the trump. And, uh, and if not, we'll be resurrected, and we'll be caught up together in the air with him and join those that uh, have gone before in the clouds. So it's going to be awesome and, uh, in the true sense of the word, Jeff Trude. So um, the us is the saints, and we find that in verse 1, which is what Sharon said. This epistle is written to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. That would be you and that would be me and everybody that's born again. So this is to us. You are accepted. You can just sit around and think about that the rest of the day and you'll have a good day, good evening, because it's really good to be accepted in the beloved. It's really bad if you're not accepted in the beloved. So let's talk about the beloved because this is the next fill in the blank. The beloved is, who do you think it is? You know who I thought it was? I thought it was, I thought it was the church. I always say, I don't. I mean, I used to think it was the church. Let me put it that way. But when you study this out, because I've already pointed out that we, well, actually Sharon pointed out that it's, it is Jesus Christ, right? Because that's who, that's how we got saved. It's it's in the grammar. It's it's in the actual the grammar of the actual sentences. Because we know that the Father is the one who's who's who has um, who has. Uh, made us adopted uh, in uh, I'm sorry accepted in the beloved and uh, and so if we were talking about the father right the adoption that happens by Jesus Christ in verse 4 and the father is the one who's adopted us then guess what this beloved well it's Jesus Christ the beloved is Christ uh, because he's the one who has got us uh, saved now let me give you more info on this because this is a bible study and this is a bible study so we ought to study the bible I guess so Romans chapter 1 and verse uh, 6 I'm just going to roll some verses by you for time's sake. Um, and if you're, jo- I put them on the notes. I think you got the references there. Um, uh, it, it says here, many would say uh, this. Oh, number one there. I'm sorry. Um, I've lost myself on the notes. Hang on a second. Let me catch up with you guys. Many would. Okay, so point E there, if you're filling out the blank. The beloved is Christ. But, but number one, it, it says, many would say this is the church. 
okay, it, it does reference the church. So to think it is the church is not like you're totally out in left field. So I just want folks to know that because the word beloved does address the church. And, uh, and so you see that in Romans uh, chapter 1 and verse 7 and Romans chapter 12 and verse 9. So let me read Romans 1, 6. It says, Among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. That's his introductory comments to the Christians that are at Rome and everywhere. Um, uh, we are the called of Jesus Christ. So if you're a Christian, you've wondered, am I called? You are. You're called. You, just, just don't, you don't need a lightning bolt to hit you. The Bible is calling you. Uh, he's calling you to obey the gospel. If you're, once you get saved, he's calling you to serve. It's just that simple. So get sanctified and start serving. And then he'll... As you exercise uh, those, uh, those elements of obedience, it'll give you more information about what you're doing and your calling. But anyway, that's, a whole, that's for free. You didn't have to get any money for that. Uh, and it goes on to say, verse 7, To all that be in, in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. So he's talking to the church. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you say, well, Brian, I think it's the church because of Romans chapter 1. I'd say, well, that's a good reason to think it's the church because he does talk about the church in those terms. Also, Romans 12, 19, he says, listen to this. Sounds like a wedding. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here. No, he doesn't say that. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, <laughs> but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Ooh, that's, that's some tough words, and those are serious, sober words, so we, we don't want to make light of that. Praise God, we have an advocate, and we have propitiation, right, with the Father, and that's Jesus Christ, the Son. But he also is going to come back in his just wrath. Praise God, we get to return with him instead of being the object of his wrath. And so Romans 12 is a really wonderful, um, uh, you know, uh, another example of how the church, the dearly beloved, is the, are the saints. So that, that's accurate to say, well, it's the church. And others may say, well, Brian, I think, I think, uh, I think it's Israel is the beloved of God. Because Romans eleven twenty eight it says, As concerning the gospel, they're enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, there's a highly misunderstood word, uh, the election, um, we're not talking about, you know, Joe Biden and Donald Trump, by the way. They are beloved for the Father's sakes. Okay, so what in the world? I mean, is it the church or is it Israel? And by the way, if you have not figured out that this is referencing Israel in Romans 11, you need to come, you need to get discipled. You need to start in the basics of the Bible. I don't care if you've got a Ph.D. in theology. Romans eleven twenty eight is dealing with Israel. Um, so is Romans nine through eleven, by the way. But that's another discussion. So and so, God will keep His promises to the Old Testament fathers, fathers' sake. It's not God the Father. He's talking about the Old Testament: Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Right. So He's like, listen, um, uh, I'm going to bless Israel for the fathers' sakes. Why? Because the, all the kingdom of heaven promises were given to Israel through the fathers. He says, hey, Abraham, right? Look at your seed it's going to be like the stars of heaven well there's your there's your kingdom of god look at the ground it's going to be like the sand of the sea in abraham both of those things are accomplished kingdom of god and kingdom of heaven uh and and it's all by faith by the way um so he says hey listen for the father's sakes um you know that promised seed the physical seed the physical propagation of what would become a nation of course which came through uh, jacob's seed and the 12 tribes of israel which grew into uh, the Messiah Highway, which came through the line of Judah and Jesus Christ, and all those things being fulfilled in Christ, uh, is also accurate. It's accurate to say Israel is God's beloved. Why? Because he has a plan for Israel, just like he has a plan for the church. And so, okay, so how in the world do we discern then if we've got, if we've got all these beloveds running around? 
Well, this is another good principle of the Bible study I want to throw at you under point three there. Um, um, uh, in the context, that, that word that I have filled in the blank there is context of our passage in Ephesians 1, 6. Christ is the beloved. So if you read ahead, you could already answer number E there. But Christ is the beloved. So you can find that with the word context. So uh, so while you're, that's another good principle of Bible study. While you're studying your Bible and you're looking up first mentions and last mentions and where the, how this word is used throughout the Bible, sometimes, uh, you know, it wouldn't be wrong to say the word beloved applies to the church. It's not wrong to say it applies to Israel. Uh, that's all true. So here, where does, how does it apply? How do we determine that is, is through the principle of context. And man, when you're taking, you don't want to take the Bible out of context because when you do, you, you go off on tangents and, uh, and that, that are dangerous and harmful. Uh, there are people today that think they're saved and are not. They're working their way to heaven because they've taken the Bible out of context. And so we, as we've already pointed out, we know that the beloved here is Jesus Christ because we're accepted in the beloved that's because we're adopted by Jesus Christ. It's the same. The beloved here is Jesus Christ. Well, let me give you a little bit more um, information about that. Uh, the Father said this of, at, at Jesus' baptism in Jordan at the beginning of his public ministry. In Matthew 3.17, and I think these verses may be familiar. And then you're going to go, oh, yeah, I remember this. He said, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son and who I am well pleased. The father was happy to call Jesus his beloved son. Uh, and in uh, the, the next point there, the father said this of Jesus at his, this is a big word, transfiguration, transfiguration. Um, and so I don't know if you know much about, you know, Jesus, again, we're talking about the deity of Christ. So before Jesus was, was, was God before he was born. Jesus existed before he was born of a woman. His incarnation came at the birth um, in Bethlehem. But he was already Jesus. I mean, he was already, uh, he existed, right? We call him Christophanes in the Old Testament. He would show up to, to, in the flesh and say, not in the human flesh like us, but in a, in a celestial flesh. And he would show up and say, hey, Abraham, what's up? Or he would say, hey, uh, well, I'm paraphrasing grossly, but he would, go to, he would show up to Joshua and say, Joshua, hey, man, put that sword down, buddy, because I'm... I'm the angel of the Lord. He's called the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. So, and, and he falls down and worships at his feet because he's not just an angel. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. So, yeah, the captain of the Lord of hosts. And so, so he makes these appearances in the Old Testament. Um, and, so, and, and, and so he existed, obviously. He wasn't just like us. I, I didn't exist before, you know, um, April 14th of 1970. I, that's when I was born. Um, Jesus was incarnated. And so he was already in existence. So, all right. So, what's that got to do with the price of tea in China? Well, um, he has this. He, this is crazy too. So, in his public ministry, in Matthew 17, Jesus is he's, he's just he's you know he's in his flesh like like his human flesh, um, and then he goes up to the mountain. He brings Peter, James, and John with him, <laughs> and he's transfigured. That's the fill in the blank on number five. He's transfigured before. He's transfigured in front of these dudes, and, and it blows them away. And so, uh, it, it, and I'm not going to read it for times. I'd like to go back and just read that account. You should go back and read all of that in Matthew 17, because they're like, whoa. You know, they are let in on the fact that this dude is, he's God. Now, he wasn't transfigured at, uh, at the River Jordan when he was baptized. He was baptized, in the, and everybody's like, what? 
You know, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. They're like, whoa, what's going on? You know, and so uh, this is different. I mean, he's literally transfigured. They fall on their face like, I mean, like they're dead. And, and Peter goes, oh, can I make a tabernacle? It's funny to actually read the account because Peter doesn't know what to do. And uh, anyway, so one of the things that happens is that, is, is that God the Father says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. So listen to what he has to say. Hear him. Listen to him. And so we see that the Father said this to Jesus at his transfiguration. He said it at the baptism. He said it at his transfiguration. And then uh, it's established as a title uh, for his son. That's the sixth uh, fill in the blank there. It's a title for his son, Jesus, uh, that he he uses the beloved son to explain Israel's treatment of their Messiah. Now, this is a little bit uh, even more gnarly when you look at this in in, uh, Luke chapter 20. It says, then said the Lord of the vineyard, and Jesus is, of course, the one speaking here, uh, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Uh, It may be they will reverence him when they see him. But when the husbandmen saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. What therefore shall the Lord of the vineyard do unto them? So here we have, this is the title for the son, my beloved son. It's no accident that that Jesus used that title because he is the beloved son. We've already seen twice where the the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But I don't want you to miss also, again, the context of this. Because in Luke chapter 20, verses 13 through 15, you see a similar, but not exact, but a similar situation uh, in regard to rebellion against a brother. Um, and these men say, wait a minute, this is the heir. We're going to kill him because, well, we want what he has. It's kind of different, right? Because God wants uh, Cain. God knows what Cain wants. Cain, Cain wants to be accepted. God says, hey, isn't, aren't you going to be accepted if you do what I say, Cain? Am I not going to accept you? Yeah, but but I don't want my brother, I don't want my brother's sheep. I want you to accept my work. And it doesn't work that way, does it? There's only one way to the Father, and that's through the Son. Israel missed it. Cain missed it. And you don't go around the Lamb. The Lamb is the He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the beloved Son. So in two passages, passages also. This is just as a side note. Uh, Paul calls Timothy his beloved uh, son. Timothy is his beloved son, and I just put the references there. I'm not going to look those up for you, but you can look those up later. But he, you know, when you disciple someone and you invest your life in them, um, they become like a beloved son. And I know before everyone calls me a misogynist, so, you know, people call me a misogynist every so often. Um, it's just, listen, it's just the Bible, right? Because when you get changed in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, First John chapter 3, you become like, you become a son of God. But I won't get into that either tonight. The point is simply that, the, that when you invest your life into somebody, they become like a, a father-son relationship. Um, and, and so uh, Earl Cross, who led me to Christ, he's, he's my father in the Lord, right? I got my earthly father, who I love dearly, uh, and then I got a spiritual father. And, and so, you know what Paul said? You can have many masters, but you can't, uh, many teachers, I'm sorry, to the Corinthians, but you don't have many fathers, right? There's a unique relationship to those who actually tread out the corn and, and put the word of God in your life and walk with you 
and, and those who are disciples who follow you and will replace you in due time. So the final mention of beloved son is found in 2 Peter 1.17. This is also important as we're looking at, at the Bible study principles. So you go to 2 Peter 1.17, and, and notice what it says, For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so, of course, that's the, that is a recount uh, of the Mount of Transfiguration. But it's interesting, too, the context of that uh, when you go back and look at Peter and the Word of God. So we, we are beloved because it pleases God to see us conform to his image. His image being his beloved son, Jesus Christ. It gets back to the adoption. It gets back to the birth, uh, the new birth. The new birth isn't being mentioned here. But, uh, but notice he has, he has made us accepted. And again, who is us? Well, Sharon's already let the cat out of the bag. Us is the saints. And Paul let the cat out of the bag in verse 1 when he says, the will of God to the saints, right? So he's talking about people who are already born again. Those who are born again. Those who are born again are predestinated to be conformed to the image of uh, image, to his image by grace. It's, it's as simple as it reads, but when you study philosophy instead of scripture, you get a little confounded. And so uh, I'm going to move on a little bit, but if there's any questions, you can pop them in there and we can answer. Are there any questions thus far? Ray? Nope. Anybody falling asleep yet? I think, I think so. In here, Sharon's already drooling. I'm just kidding. All right, so... Uh, let's put, look at number four. Um, and so he's redeemed us. As Oh, we don't, you don't even have it. That's it. We're done. Redeemed us. You're like, the ladies, they're like, oh my gosh, we don't have any more slides, Brian. That tells you something. I got more notes than we've got time. So we've ran out of time on our study tonight. I want to get into how he's redeemed us. But that's, that's for next week. I'm going to hold that because I wanted to take some time. Plus, when you're watching this online at home, uh, it needs to be a little shorter. So uh, did you get all the blanks? You ran out of blanks, didn't you? Is that what you're saying, Sharon? F. We are, uh, we are beloved. We are beloved because it pleases God to see us conform to His image. And then, uh, saints and predestined is the blanks on G. So those who are saints, uh, I mean, yeah, those who are saints. And then those who are born again, those who are born again are predestined to be conformed to his image by grace. Getting us back to what we talked about last week. Well, you know what? You still passed the class, so praise the Lord. All right, so, uh, so next week when we get together uh, in regard to Bible study, we'll be picking up uh, hopefully 7 through 14. We're going to talk about how he's redeemed us how he's given us wisdom and prudence, and also uh, we will get in, Lord willing, if we have time, uh, to the last one regarding, um, um, oh my gosh, my brain went dead, uh, how he has sealed us with the Holy Spirit of promise and provided for us the earnest of our inheritance, and he's made known to us the mystery of his will, not in that order, but we'll get to that next week. All right, so um, before we wrap up tonight, I want to thank everybody who has joined us. I pray that you've been encouraged in the Lord tonight in our study as we're working our way through Ephesians. And um, I just wanted to just mention that uh, uh, June is coming upon us rapidly. And we're going to continue to, hopefully, as the Lord is allows, we'll continue to...